All right, so Romans chapter 4 is where we uh, stopped. I know that's been a while ago, but uh, Romans 4. And, you know, Paul has spent chapter 2, chapter 3, and now through chapter 4. And he just keeps going over somewhat of the same material, that it's this righteousness we have is received by faith. It's not works. And he's been saying that over and over in so many different ways. And we think, why does he keep repeating it? Because what? We need to hear it. We, we don't get it. You know, we, even, even when we say, wow, I'm wonderful, I've been saved by grace through faith, got that, the next thing you know, we're off into works. And we think our works is going to keep us this way, and it's going to help us this, and, and it affects our prayers, and, and we just, we have a tendency to want to add something that we're doing when it's not. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not things for us to do, because there are, and there are rewards that we receive, but that's not the subject here. We get rewards because we are saved. And we don't earn what we have. And that material, again, is going to come up in our section tonight. So we're uh, we're on Romans. And we're in lesson number 26. Romans chapter 4. And we're going to look tonight at verses 9 through 15. And so in our series, uh, Paul's been teaching these believers in Rome his gospel, which is not saying it's unique to him. It's the gospel he has believed, and it's the gospel he preaches. It's the gospel that has come from God. He calls it the gospel of God. Other places, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, this is the gospel, God's gospel, Jesus' gospel, Paul's gospel, our gospel. And he wants them to understand that this message is not about what they can do. There must be a significant portion of the church in Rome, as I've said in our previous lessons, that that is Jewish and are still wrestling with the whole Jewish thing, you know, that you got to be Jewish before you can be saved, or if you do get saved, then you got to become Jewish after that. And it's not that Paul's against being a Jew. He is one. But what he's against is that mentality that comes in. And so he's going to cover that tonight. And one of the, one of the ways that he talks about this distinction is through the issue of circumcision. And so that's going to be a significant part of our session tonight. So let's read. Starting in Romans chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 9 through 16. And so um, I know we've read this time and again, but still, it, it's important for us to catch the, the power of what Paul is saying. So verse 9, Romans chapter 4, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised Jew, Gentile? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? 
Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him, Abraham, the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So, going to be a major part of our section tonight. Okay, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16, that is why... It depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. All right, so this section, as Paul is again, dealing with the issue of righteousness by faith or by works. Under the Jewish system, from the time of Abraham on to the time of Jesus, the law reigned. And the law established that you had to do these things. You had to uh, commit yourself to keeping this part of the law, not doing those things, fulfilling not just the judicial sections of the law, the religious sections, the health sections, the, the, uh, the, the festivals, uh, all these different things, governmental systems, relationship laws. There were so many laws, 613 laws, not 10. So the 613 that they adhered to, and then was all the sacrifices And every sacrifice said, I broke the law. That's what the sacrifice said, I broke the law. So if you needed to offer a sacrifice, just that fact said, I broke the law. So no one could say, hey, I'm keeping the law. No, because you're offering sacrifices, which is because you broke the law. And you say, well, you know, I didn't. I didn't offer a sacrifice today. You didn't have to. The priest at the temple, every morning, offered a sacrifice for you. Because during the night, you became unrighteous. And you had to be made righteous again. So it was, it was all this system. And you could never attain to a place where you were fully righteous in yourself. Because... Your righteousness was only in keeping the law. But you follow, do you avoid the law? you fall away from the law? 
you rebel against the law, you forget the law. I mean, 613 commandments, how many think you could forget one or two? So all this system was just saying, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. But the Jewish thought was, look at what we've done. We do this, we do this, we do this, so that Paul could write concerning the law, blameless. What an arrogant attitude, (laughs) seriously. Blameless, but he wasn't. So my opening verse is is actually the last verse, and I I like to use this. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 says, that is why it depends on faith. All of the rest of this, if everything else in this chapter, this, this verse says, this is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of the offspring, not only to those who are adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. Now, the King James says it is of grace that it might be by faith, of grace by faith. And here it says that's why it all depends on faith everything is ours why so that the promise may rest on grace grace is what god's power exercised on our behalf god's power extended to our weakness god covering what we cannot do god doing for us what we are unable to do ever unable to do And God has determined that he would do that regard to our sin and our ability to live right. Grace is the power of God extended to whatever weakness we might have. So, healing is a result of God's grace. Provision for your financial needs. Strength for every day. Wisdom, peace, calmness, security. All these things. Why? Because God is doing for you what you can't do in yourself. And he does it without merit. You didn't earn it. You can't be good enough to get it. And you're not bad enough to not get it. It's just grace extended. And so this grace God has extended is the promise that God has made. And I want to focus on something here. And it's in that little paragraph that I have. This is clearly one of the most significant displays of God's sovereignty that we find in all of scripture this is God's sovereignty his choice to make our salvation an issue of faith not works that's God's choice and so God established that the only way you could be saved was by his grace That's God's sovereign choice. You can't be saved any other way. Well, I don't like that. I want to come my own way. You can't. God's already said it. You don't have a choice. God is sovereign this. Well, I don't I don't think the faith thing is is fair. Because, you know, I'm just not sure I can believe. You don't get to say whether it's fair or not. God's sovereign. He made it an issue of faith. 
What about all these people that say, well, then God chooses who gets saved and who doesn't? No, it's an issue of faith, not choice. It's not an issue of God choosing who gets saved. It's an issue of you believing what God has done. Who can do that? Who can believe what God has done? Anyone. Anyone. So that this way is open to all. And God, by his sovereign power, established that this was the way people would be saved. So God's power, his foreknowledge, his immutability, the fact that this cannot change. If God says this, there's nothing that's going to change it. Well, we took a vote and we we decided, you know, God, we don't like the way. You don't get to do that. God doesn't change. He doesn't take a poll to see if this is the way it should be done, if everybody likes this or not. Or maybe, do I need to change it? Would it make you happy if I change this? He's not changing anything. Plus, it's also an extension of his mercy and his love. So God has established all these things. So as we go through this section with Abraham, Abraham hasn't asked how he wants to be saved. He's not asked what he wants to do. God makes him a promise, and he says, do you believe? Do you believe? And Abraham, what? Believed. Okay, so let's look at verse 9. Is this blessing? What blessing? Well, the righteousness that comes by faith. That's, that's the blessing he's talking about. That's what he's been talking about since verse 1 of chapter uh, 4. Actually, all the way through chapter 3. So this righteousness that is a result of faith, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or the Jew? Or is it also for the uncircumcised, for the Gentile? How many of us are glad it's also for the Gentiles? Yeah. There may be some Jew, Jewish believers here. There may be some Jewish people who have, you know, that. But in most of our circles, we're Gentiles. And so, thank God, this promise was not just for the Jews. Which, by the way, Abraham was not. He was, Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was from Ur of the Chaldees. He was a Chaldean. And I was like, what? what? Yeah, but his children were Jews. Yes. After Judah was born, they weren't called Jews until Judah was born. So anyway, technically, Abraham had no right to this. But God made him a promise. What did Abraham do to get this? Nothing. Well, he left Ur of the Chaldees and followed God. No, God gave it to him before then. I will do this for you. All you have to do is believe. So Abraham received this promise from God. And so uh, the question goes on, is this is this before or is this only for the circumcised but also for the uncircumcised look at the second half of verse 9 for we say that faith was counted abraham as righteousness that's from genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 faith was counted to him faith was written down he believed and therefore he was made righteous 
faith was reckoned to him. Your translations have, we talked about that word reckoned, which means right on the record. And God seeing that record, he saw Abraham believed, that's it, righteousness. Verse 10, well, how then was it counted to him? See, Paul knows that he's going to make a statement and he's going to get some blowback. All right, so it was made to him, God counted it, his faith is righteous. Well, then how was it done? Can you, can you hear the arrogance in the people who are throwing these things back at Paul? So he says, you don't have to ask me the question. I'm going to write your words in here. These are the words that are coming out of your mouth. How then was it counted? How does it reckon to him? What, what, what did he do that was right? What did he do to get it? How was it reckoned? How was it calculated? Because that fits into this word reckon. How was it calculated? When was it done? Was it before or after he was circumcised? See, that, is that it? He got circumcised and then he was counted righteous? So that his circumcision then was his work to somehow uh, attain this thing? God said, if you get circumcised, I'll make you, I'll, I'll make you righteous. Is that what God said? No, because he was made righteous before he was circumcised. And so Paul answers that question. It was not after, <laughs> but it was before. So he takes into that thing. Now, I went back and did some calculations and some numbers here for you uh, there in the, that section. It says, Abraham's exact age when he was declared righteous is not stated Though it's, it was about 85, all right? But it's not stated as his age. However, we can find it. When Hagar bore him Ishmael, he was 86, all right? So that's in Genesis 16. After that, God instructed Abraham to perform the rite of circumcision on all his male descendants as a sign of God's covenant with him. This was done when Abraham was 99. So he's almost 100. So this is, uh, yeah, this is a while afterwards. So he wasn't circumcised for 14 years after, till 14 years after, God had declared him righteous. Therefore, the circumcision followed his justification by more than 13 years. So this is, this is answering the issue. Now, they say, Paul didn't, Paul didn't write all that in here. Yeah, but any of those who were Jews knew this. They were, the ones who would have this argument in their mind already knew this. Gentile believers who are reading Paul's writing here, they're learning some things. But they didn't have to have all the little details. I mean, you know, sometimes the more you know, the less you know. The more you know, the more questions you want to add. It's like, so you tell a child, you know, the moon is, is up there and, uh, you know, we've had people walk on the moon. Us? Well, did they really walk on the moon, or was that a TV set? 
You know, how far is it? How did they get there? What did they do? How could anybody build a rocket that would get them that far? How did they breathe? How did they go to the bathroom? All these things that come to us. You know, we we have more questions, kids. It's just like, wow, that's really cool. So sometimes the more we know, the more questions we have. The more sometimes that, the, like the Jewish people knew, the harder it was to convince them that righteousness comes by faith, not by works. So now Paul's going to go on. Verse 13. Verse 11. Sorry, 11. He received the sign of circumcision. Sign. All right. So I highlighted that. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Can I add the word in there already? He received the circumcision as a sign of the, of the righteousness he already had. He had it when? 13 years before. So he was already declared righteous before he was circumcised. And so he says he received the sign as a seal that he had righteousness while he was still uncircumcised. So to these Jewish believers who are wrestling over this question of his works and his commitment. Now, circumcision was a pledge that you were going to keep the law, that you had accepted the law as God's divine order and that you were pledging yourself to keep it. That's what circumcision was all about, which begs the question... Yeah, but the baby was eight days old when he was circumcised. <laughs> so how is that? Well, the parents made the pledge for the child. Then the child had to go through training in rabbinical uh, schools. And then at the age of 13, he confirmed his circumcision. That is bar mitzvah. And that was he confirmed the fact that he pledged himself to the law. So, and they pledged themselves to the law, not to God. So if you study the whole bar mitzvah thing and the, the commitments that they made, it was about the law. Yeah, God was in there. It was God's law, but they pledged themselves to the law. It's all about the law. So what Paul says here is he received the sign as a seal. So let's look at these two things. Circumcision was never meant to be a pledge to fulfill what was demanded. It was never, that's not why God gave it. God did not give circumcision to Abraham as a pledge to keep the law. Why? He knew he couldn't keep it. Why? But there's a better reason. It wasn't there. There was no law yet. It's like, what law? Well, a lot I'm going to write in a couple hundred years. Okay, whatever. So, no, he, he didn't have the law. So he didn't, he didn't get circumcised as a pledge to keep the law. Point number two. Circumcision was a sign to Abraham that he was in covenant with Elohim, with God. 
It was a sign that he was in covenant. And so to be circumcised said, I'm in covenant with God. Not, I am pledging myself to the law. It was a sign. I'm in covenant with God. And so this was the way that it was to be accepted. How did the covenant come to Abraham? By faith. He believed God and he accepted this covenant. And so Abraham was in covenant with God, Elohim, and also to all of his offspring. But it was more than a sign, it was also a seal. So the sign was that I'm in covenant with God. The seal was that Elohim would keep his promise. So it was a sign that I'm in covenant, and it was also a seal that said God promised to keep his part of the covenant. And so this was a way that Abraham was to to recognize his relationship with this God, the covenant that he had. And so it was all about that covenant. And the fact that it had nothing to do with the law is stated there at the top of the next page, page number two. Abraham's circumcision predates the law by 430 years. So, yeah, that uh, kind of take care of that problem. So he didn't know anything about the law. He didn't pledge himself to the law. Abraham didn't really pledge himself to anything. He accepted the pledge. I am in covenant with God, and God will fulfill his covenant. I accept that. That's all he had to do. I can use the word accept. I can use the word believe. I believe God's promise. I believe the God who makes his promise will keep his promise. So, the purpose continues in verse 13. The purpose, top of page 2. The purpose of God's pledge. The purpose was to make him, that is Abraham, the father of all who believe. Not the father of all who keep the law. Not the father of all who work. Not the father of all who are able No, it's the father of all who what? Believe. Without being circumcised. So you don't have to be circumcised to be in this because he wasn't when he received the promise. Circumcision came later. And it was a sign that he was in covenant with God and the seal that God would keep the promise. That's how he was to see his circumcision. All right, so it was without being circumcised. So it was never about the law. Yet, the Jewish people made it about the law. And they still do. And he goes on, the end of verse 13, or verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 11, end of verse 11, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. He's the father of all who believe without being circumcised, Why? So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Counted to us as how? How is righteousness counted to us? The same way it was to him. What did he do? He believed. What do we do? Believe. He's the father of all who believe. And so this is his promise. And so my little bullet points. Abraham believed the promise. You shall be. That God made a promise. You shall be father of a multitude, blessed, 
all these things. He made a promise. It was the promise that made him a father, not circumcision. His circumcision had nothing to do with him becoming a father. It had everything to do with him believing the promise. It was the promise. It was the promise that Abraham believed when he was declared righteous. It is the promise of righteousness that we believe and are declared righteous. Because we receive our righteousness the same way Abraham did. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, just like us. And so God then declares us righteous because we have believed. Verse 12 says, And to make him the father of the circumcised inwardly. See, our circumcision, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, our circumcision is of the heart, not of the flesh. Because the flesh doesn't matter. Because if the flesh mattered, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be vulgar, but women wouldn't be counted in. Because they're not circumcised. And the only way a woman could be a part of the promise or of the covenant was either through her father or through a husband. Or, potentially, a patron. But someone had to be, in a sense, her covering in order for a woman to be counted in the nation. In covenant with God. Because women couldn't have a covenant of their own. There's no place in the Old Testament law that you can find a woman being able to make a covenant. And so this is a promise that God made to all of us, and it has nothing to do with circumcision. It's all about this. But there is an inward circumcision, cutting off of the heart, the heart of unbelief, all the areas of your heart, of your inner being that questions and differs and struggles with the things of God. No. True circumcision cuts all that off, I believe. I believe. And then out of that then grows outward works of righteousness. And it says, anyway, to make him the father of the inwardly circumcised, who are not merely circumcised outwardly. Because outward circumcision does not make you righteous. All of the people born again on the day of Pentecost were Jewish. They'd all been circumcised, all the men had been. But they weren't saved till they believed the message. It's faith that makes us righteous, not works. And there could be many outwardly circumcised, but not saved. All right, so it's the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham before he was circumcised. So he's the father of all of us because we walk in his footsteps. God called him, made him a promise. Abraham believed the promise. God counted him righteous. And then Abraham followed God. And so all of these things fit together 
to show us that it is not about the law, which verse 14 now re-emphasizes. You say, Paul, can we just lay off of this? We got it. He wouldn't keep at it if we got it. And I know we could say, yeah, but we've been through this. I know. And so had they. But they're going to hear it again. Paul said, for me to say the same things to you sometimes is irritating. But for you, it's safe. Hmm. And then he goes on and talks about circumcision. Beware of dogs. Beware of those who keep the law. So he's not talking about barking animals. He's talking about people who insist that you have to be Jewish before you can be saved. Okay, that's Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Anyway, verse 14. For if, big if, if, if it were true, if this was if if this was actually the fact that it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs faith is null and the promise is void so if if this is true which is obviously what some of the people in Rome and many of the Jewish legalists who were still in Jerusalem and in other parts around the Roman empire And these Jewish legalists, even though they have accepted Christ, they still hold on to this insistence that you have to keep the law of Moses. If not before you got saved, certainly afterwards. And they insist on that. But if it is the adherents of the law who are heirs, that is, of righteousness, heirs of righteousness, of, we would say, salvation, Faith is null, the promise is void. Now, interestingly, the word adherence really isn't in there. What the, what the actual Greek says, those, if it is those who are of the law. That's what it says. It doesn't say adherence to, but that's the implication. What this phrase means, those who are of the law... If it is those who are of the law, means those who are under the power of it. Those who see the law as ruling in their life. That the law is the thing that is most important. And faith somewhere comes down the line. But if it is those who are of the law, under its power, Submitted to it, committed to it, dependent on it. If those who are of the law are the heirs, faith is null. Now the word null comes from the Greek word empty, kanao. Other place that this word kanao is used and it talks about when Jesus emptied himself so that he could take on the form of a man. So that he could come in his humanity. Jesus emptied himself of his deity? No. He emptied himself of the privileges of deity. He he deprived himself. And so this Greek word kenao doesn't just mean empty like a bucket can be empty. It it really has to do with being deprived, being, being set aside as useless. 
And so that's the extension of this. Faith would be removed from being involved in the outcome. If, if those who are of the law, if keeping the law makes you an heir of salvation or of righteousness, then faith is emptied of any of its power. It's emptied of any of its purpose. Faith becomes null, as he's going to say later. Faith becomes useless. What's the purpose of faith? If I'm righteous because I got circumcised, if I'm righteous because I keep the Ten Commandments, if I'm righteous because I do all the things that God told me to do. And so my righteousness is in who? My righteousness. If, that, if that's your attitude, your righteousness is where? It's in yourself. So the preacher that I listened to one day, he made the statement, you were saved yesterday, but are you saved today? Because what have you done between yesterday and today? To lose your salvation. What have you not done. That you should have done. In order to keep your salvation. And so the whole thing revolves around. You. It's all about you. That's, that's worse than just even the law. Yeah. Lose his soul. You got nothing. And so the idea behind this. Is that none of these things can be true because then faith would be useless whereas faith is spoken of all through the scriptures faith was before the law faith was during the law faith is after the law and so the idea of faith is absolutely essential to the life of every believer our salvation is by god's grace Through our, what's the word? Faith, through our faith. Not through our works. Not through our circumcision. Not through what we can do. It's all from him. So faith becomes null. And if that's the case, if faith becomes empty of any purpose, then the promise is made void. The Greek word katergeo means inactive or annulled. The promise is annulled. Because if you have to work to get the promise, then faith is useless. But the problem is, I can't work enough to get the promise. God could give me the promise, tell me all the things I have to do, but I keep, I keep messing up and then I have to go back to start again. Have you ever played the game Sorry when you were a kid? Right? So you go around the board, and then your brother lands on your spot. He did that a lot of times. Sorry. No, you're not. Why did they even name it that? They should have catered it like the Reese's commercial. Not sorry. Yeah, so not sorry. So that's because I'm not sorry. I sent you back because that gets me further ahead. So this, the, the promise is useless because I never gain it because it's all up to me. It can't be a promise that God's going to fulfill. It's a promise I have to fulfill. And I can't do that. So, works defeats all of that. So, if those who are of the law are the heirs, then faith becomes empty. And the promise is annulled. Useless. Verse 13, 15. 
Sorry, my bifocals are, my, my numbers, I need to enlarge the size of my numbers. Okay, verse 15, for the law brings wrath. Hmm. But where there is no law, there's no transgression. Now, this is an interesting phrase, and I didn't go into this because we'll deal with this later on. But Paul says in Romans chapter 7, but the law is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. Oh, what do you mean? Then the law brings wrath. Why does the law bring wrath? Because I can't live by it. And that really makes me angry. So the law brings wrath. What people want to do is they want to interpret this as the law brings God's wrath. And ultimately it will. It will. But God's wrath was there before the law. The flood. Anybody remember the flood? (laughs) Yeah. How about removal from the garden? Yeah. So... God's wrath has always been there, and it always will be there, against sin. So when he makes this statement, the law brings wrath. Why? Because only those who can perfectly fulfill it can receive the promise. The law says you've got to do all these things, 613 commandments, in order to get this. Yeah, but I've done 611 Not enough. It's either perfect or nothing. You know, we go back and read Deuteronomy 28. I I don't know if I referred to this the other day or not. I can't remember. It's been (laughs) several weeks. But um, Deuteronomy 28, and we read the the blessings and the curses. The blessings, I think, take up something like 14 verses. Wonderful. Wonderful. Blessing this, blessed shall you be here, blessed shall you be there, blessed shall you be. And everyone who keeps all, oh, we missed that word. These, everyone who keeps all of these words of the law that I have given you this day shall receive these blessings. But that's that little word, all. And all means all. Yeah. So then you go to the cursing side, and I think there's like, 40 verses, something like that. It's like, what? Why are there so many curses? Because there are just a lot of curses. But you come down to the end of it, the end of that whole chapter, and it says, anyone who does not keep, get ready for this, all of the things that I have given you this day, everything that Moses has said that day, all of the law and all of the extensions of the law in the book of Deuteronomy, The one who does not keep all of these things shall receive all of these curses. Uh, I really don't like that. So can we just take that second two-thirds of Deuteronomy 28 out of the Bible, please? No, you can't. You don't get that choice. So the law what? Brings wrath. Why? All right? But here's, here's what that means. What that means is since the demands could not be fulfilled, death is the result and no promise can be received. Because I die before I get to the promise. Because I couldn't keep the law. So none of this could be received if it's by 
my works by my ability. Bottom line. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. No law. No law for who? Abraham. Where there was no law. Abraham had no law to fulfill. Abraham did what? He believed. Did he keep the law? Didn't even know what the law was. Couldn't even spell it. I had a law? I don't know what law. I don't know any law. There was no law for Abraham. He didn't have anything to adhere to. He was not under the authority or the power of any kind of law. He was not submitted to any kind of law. He believed God and it was counted as righteousness. That's what it says. And it says it more than once. So for him, there was no transgression. Because there was no law, there was nothing to transgress. Does that make sense to you? If there's no speed limit, then you can't break it. But if you say, I don't know the speed limit, that's a problem. Because that means it is there, but you just don't know it. All right. There's no transgression to disqualify. Abraham Abraham could not be disqualified from the promise because there wasn't anything that he had to do to get it. And therefore, it was a matter of faith alone. He believed and he was made righteous. Top of page 3. Verse 16. That is why. I love the way that the ESV and a couple of the translations insert this statement at the beginning of this way. It makes it so direct. That is why. What is why? All this stuff I've been saying. Oh, you think Paul's done? Oh, no. He's going to go right back to it, starting in verse 18, which we'll get to next week. So, that is why. It depends on faith. That's why it depends on faith. That's why it is, it is dependent upon, it is uh, re- responsible to. It depends on faith. The promise responds to faith. The promise of righteousness responds to faith. It doesn't respond to the law. Because the law just gives you what you deserve. It pays you the wages that you have earned. Unfortunately, the wages we have earned is what? The wages of sin is death. So we can all say that. So what Paul says, that is why it all depends on faith. God in his mercy. Oh, wind chimes. All right. That is why. God in his mercy and love made righteousness a matter of faith. Listen to Paul. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4. But God, being what? Rich in mercy. See, God in his mercy said, I'm not going to make it a matter of law. I'm not going to make it a matter of works. Why? Because I love you too much. So God in his mercy 
did God think that we were just good, wonderful people? No, he knew we were sinners. But in his mercy, he made righteousness a matter of faith. Not you getting rid of all those things that irritate God, that break his heart. No, you don't have to get rid of all those things. But in his mercy, and he doesn't just have a little mercy. He's rich in mercy. And the Greek word rich there means filthy rich. You know, just absolutely overflowing rich. God who is rich in mercy because of the what? Not just love. The great love with which he has loved us. Wow. So he has loved us, puts it all the way in eternity past before you were here. But then his great love is what you received. Because God has already loved you, you are going to receive his great love and his riches of mercy. And all of these things are extended to us. Instead of law, instead of demands, so that you don't have to work, all you have to do is what? Believe. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, and then Paul breaks off, verse 8, says, for by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. And this is not your doing. It's, this faith that you have, it's not even about you. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that you cannot boast. Because the law allows you to boast. But grace does not. As I didn't do anything to get it. All I did was believe. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. For in Christ Jesus... Here we are back to circumcision. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith, our faith, working through God's provision of love. Now, the way I interpret this verse, based on a couple other translations, is different than the way most people use it. Because most people use this as faith works by love. So if I'm a loving person, then faith is active. If I'm not loving, then faith is not active. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not the subject here. The subject is what are you going to do about works? That's what he's been talking about in Galatians chapter 3 and all the way through chapter 4. And now into chapter 5, he's still dealing with the Galatians. He's dealing with works versus faith. And so what he says in this verse, he says it's not circumcision. That counts. Because you don't have to be circumcised to be made righteous. Why? Because the father of our faith was not circumcised when God made him righteous. All right? So it's a matter of faith. What about uncircumcision? No, that doesn't count. Your uncircumcision can't keep you from being saved. It has nothing to do with whether you are saved or not. So neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything the word counts comes from the greek word ischuo which is a word for strength but it has to do with the strength to overcome the the way that this word would be translated in that verse counts would be be better saying for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has the strength to overcome being circumcised and uncircumcised will not overcome your sinfulness 
Only one thing will. Faith in God's promise of righteousness. And so you cannot overcome in your own strength. And so Paul is declaring that circumcision does not have the power or the ability to bring about salvation. Neither of these count for anything. But faith, working through, he's going to say, love. But faith, working through. The Greek word used there is a word, energeo, which means is productive. But faith, being productive, being um, able to produce, to bring forth. Neither of these things are circumcision, uncircumcision, don't have the power. But here's what does have the power. Faith has the power to produce, to produce, to bring about what? Righteousness or salvation. Faith has the power to bring about salvation. And who made that declaration? God did. Based on his what? His love. Faith working through God's love that he has put this in operation. That God's provision of love. God loved us so much that he took our works out of the way. God loved us so much that he said, it's not about you. It's what I'm going to do. God's love was extended beyond what the law demanded. His love reached through the law. David found God's righteousness through the law. Abraham found it before the law. We find it after the law. And it's all a result of faith in what God's provision. Why? Because he loved us. And so this great love that God has, faith, that has been put into operation through the provision of God's love. This is how he wants us to receive. So then he goes on, he says, at the end of verse 16, that's why it all depends on faith. King James, it is of faith so that it might be by grace. And I, I, I love that phrase. Of faith that it might be by grace, or by faith. Of grace. That might be by faith. Yeah. It is of grace. Of faith by grace. Okay. But it's that, it's that statement that Paul's been making since chapter 2. You can't work for this. You can't be good enough for this. You can look to your religion. You can look to your philosophies. You can look to your abilities. You can look to your heritage. You can look to the, to the law itself and think that you could do all of this, but you can't. And the idea that we could even live by the law today is ridiculous because the law demanded sacrifice and you can't make a sacrifice. I, I challenge you to put an altar in your yard and offer an animal and I guarantee you you will be uh, in jail before you know what you're doing it's a barbecue pit it's a, you know you try to get by with that but I doubt that that would fly very far so that this is what he says at the end of this statement so that it might be guaranteed to all 
it's not a matter. It depends on faith so that it might be guaranteed to all of the offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. So the idea of being guaranteed, it's just, it's, it means it can't be taken away. It's guaranteed. It, it's, it's made yours now. It's, it's a gift that God has given that is fulfilled in what we have. The word guaranteed, it means it's firm, it's steadfast, it's, it's unmovable. It's something that you can lean on. I know I make mistakes. And if God got out his ledger of the law and began to read down through it, there'd be so many mistakes. But that's not where my salvation is. My salvation is in the fact that I believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead. I believed that, and I was made righteous. That's my guarantee. It's something that I can have firm and steadfast, immovable. It's there. It can't be taken away. Why? Because I did it. It's in the past. It can't be changed. It's not subject to anything that's going on now. It's fulfilled in the heart and the mind of God. It's been written down righteous. That's how God sees us. And as Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 24, that those who believed have passed from death to life. Have passed. I'm already on the life side. I'm already seated with Christ in heavenlies. I'm already there. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, not only have I been sanctified, I have been glorified. Wow. I don't feel glorified most days. I don't know about any of you. It's not something that I walk around and feel glorified. But you know what? What that means is I've already received in, in the heavenly realm, I've already received my glorified body. I'm already there. What can take me out? Nothing. Nothing. Not even me. Because this is my guarantee. It's firm. It's steadfast. And I know believers get shaken in their faith, but... They don't need to, which is why Paul goes into what he's going to start in verse 18. And he's talking about Abraham's faith. Are we going to go over that again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Paul's got more to say about Abraham's faith. All right? So we'll talk about that our next session. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father.